and Kimpio destroys this ball. Oh my gosh! Home run, Bailey Hemphill. Now you can maybe pick up an Opelika. My goodness, over the scoreboard in left field. It's 5-0 Alabama. <laughs> Pinto went rise. She right shouldn't have. Right in the wheelhouse. Oh my gosh. Welcome. Wow, what a time it has been in the SEC. Conference play is underway. Upsets are happening left and right. Softball is truly roaring ahead as we are into March 100% and very much ready to talk about a very exciting weekend in college softball, both last weekend and coming up in the week ahead. Welcome to the Out of the Box podcast. I'm Gray Robertson. That's Tom Canterbury. Tom, how are you? And are you still feeling great after what was an unbelievable weekend for a lot of reasons? Yeah, feeling really good. You could maybe classify it as euphoric, uh, the way that things went on this weekend. Actually excited to talk about what was maybe first time ever a fun weekend in Auburn. That doesn't happen. Stop it. No, I know. It never happens, but it actually did. So I'm uh, very excited about, about the chance to talk about it. Well, that's just part one, Tom. We've got so much to discuss today. and Oh, yeah. Gosh, it, it's going to be a packed show. We'll start at the plate. We're going to talk about this past weekend, analyze both sides, Alabama's sweep of Auburn, what this means for Auburn, and based on what we saw, what we think of that team. Then we'll break down what's ahead this week with UAB. Potentially, we'll see with weather being what it is and Tennessee this weekend. Then we will advance to first. Conference play underway. And, Tom, my goodness, we had – four other SEC series that were pretty wild, all of them entertaining in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed a few of them, uh, and we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it. Yeah, there's also one, as we record, that is still going on. But yeah, we'll, right. It's happened before where that game is finished while we've been recording, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll see what happens with that. But that I think we're both wrong about it already. So true. Uh, yeah, that, that was one that is probably the most, most surprising out of everything so far. We'll get to it because I know you have a lot of thoughts. I'll let you I have thoughts. Public yes. statement. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have the memo ready. <laughs> we've also got FGCL corner FGCL player of the week will be awarded and we've got some new faces and the nominees, which is always fun. Then we will steal second with one of our favorites, Madison Shipman. Tom, we have not talked to Madison Shipman in a very long time, the former Lady Ball and ESPN analyst. Yeah, we have not talked to her here in this uh, 2021 season. So last time we, we discussed things, it was uh, pre-pandemic. So a lot has changed since then. Absolutely. But we're going to keep up the Lady Ball theme because then after we talk to Ship, we're going to round third with Brian Rice, the voice of Tennessee Lady Vols softball, because this was the plan all along right. to talk to Brian the week of the Alabama-Tennessee series. We were just hoping to do it, say, on a Thursday right before the series starts. Yeah, but, you know, we got to do it when we can get it scheduled and get it get it mocked in there. But he uh, did not have as fun of a weekend as we did this past Ooh. weekend. How do we even talk about it? <laughs> You'll notice on the rundown, this is the most bare an interview segment has ever been with questions and topics. Because yeah. 
I don't really know how to address what went down in game three of LSU Tennessee, but we'll talk about that later. And then finally, folks, we will head home. We'll discuss some of the big non-SEC conference games, including a couple big Pac-12 series. And then SEC picks off the wall. There's not a lot there, but we'll still give our, you know, give each other a chance to speak. There's enough to to discuss. You fools. And then we've got Tom's hungry because we actually went out and yes. ate places, Tom. Yes, there were people and food and places not in Tuscaloosa. So, yes, we are talking about it. Wow, incredible. Casseroles made in a appropriate amount of time and thoroughly cooked. It was a wonderful weekend. And as usual, <laughs> at least once per episode, somewhere Nathan Sheehan is laughing. As usual, follow the podcast at out of the box underscore pod. Like, share, subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends how you can listen, which is anywhere basically, except Google Podcasts. I I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm trying, but I don't know. I can't get anyone to give me an answer over email. So just, you know, use your iPhone and use it to listen somewhere else. It, I'm sure there are other ways. Yeah, that's okay. There, <laughs> one, one of those links that we tweet out will work, I promise. I can guarantee that. <laughs> You're right. All right, Tom, let's talk about the weekend. Alabama sweeps Auburn 6 nothing, 4-1, 4-2, 14 runs on 26 hits. Bad stat line for the Alabama can't hit crowd. Mm-hmm. And boy, oh boy, was the pitching incredible this weekend. Kilfoyle and Fouts went the whole way. In 21 innings, they gave up two earned runs, walked four, struck out 23. That's all you can ask. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So impressive. Yeah. Cause if you look at Alabama's team, they don't just absolutely blow you away with offensive numbers like say Oklahoma or UCLA does, but they get the hits when, when it matters. Uh, they bring in the runs. I would put Alabama's pitching staff right now, especially the top two uh, Fouts and Kilfoyle or Kilfoyle Fouts. I'd put that up against anybody, including UCLA and Oklahoma and anybody else. Montana Fouts and Lexi Kilfoyle have been just absolutely dominant, keeping batters completely off balance. That they, they they're they're so good. I, I remember talking about it on during Saturday's game, where Montana Fouts had allowed one unearned run and only struck out like three or four through four or five innings. And I was like, well, what's wrong with Montana? It's like she's having she's pitching perfectly fine at Alabama in a great spot. But she wasn't just bowing everyone down. And then she got stronger as the game went along. I think it's been kind of the most impressive part from both Lex and Montana this year is that they seem to get better as the game goes along. The one question we had, how are they going to do in seventh innings? Uh, that has not been an issue, as I knock on wood, so far this year. Um, in fact, it's been the exact opposite. So kudos to them and as long as Alabama has that type of power in the pitching circle, uh, they're going to be able to play with anybody. Absolutely. And it was so interesting to see how Patrick Murphy maneuvered Sunday because he said in the pregame interview, which again, folks, always listen to the pregame interview, that he was going to play not just this Sunday, every Sunday this year, like a game at the World Series, which means everyone's available, which means we could see a lot of cases of a Fouts start Kilfoyle relief or Kilfoyle start Fouts relief or a Torrance relief or whatever. But yeah. I found it really interesting that he did even, you know, against Auburn, one of the quote unquote weaker teams in the SEC, he did choose to rely on his two aces in that game three to get the sweep. 
Yeah, and I can understand why he was doing it. Again, uh, Kilfoyle was pitching very well. I don't think she wasn't knocked out of the game. I think by the time the, the change was after the fourth inning, it was just the third time through the order, giving a, giving them a totally different look. And that's the thing about Kilfoyle and Montana, that they they are such different pitchers that it's going to be very, very hard for opponents to make an on-the-fly adjustment in that situation. Yeah, I mean, what did I say on the broadcast, right? You know, when Auburn's down, when any team is down, they get desperate, they start swinging a little bit more. Lexi yeah. only has so many tricky pitches because 99% of her stuff is down. Montana also has more side-to-side, more up stuff, plus the down. So just yeah. more of an opportunity there to try and induce free swings. And we kind of saw that. I mean, Auburn couldn't really get anything going against Fouts when she came on in relief. But what we saw with uh, Patrick Murphy did offensively playing a lot of matchups when Auburn would bring in the lefty as opposed to the righty, I think he's going to be able to do that as we move forward with the pitching staff as well. Right. If there's just somebody that is going – that Jayla Torrance is, would be their kryptonite for their what they do, you know, we can see her come in, same with Sarah or, or Crystal. So I, I don't think we're not going to see the rest of the pitching staff in the SEC. I think we're going to see times when they do come in. Uh, but I, I think it was just what Montana and Lex did fit what the Auburn offense couldn't do. Right. No, I totally agree. And that's not what I was trying to say. Sure. I, I think I think my point was, though, that Patrick Murphy, because of what else was happening in the conference, knew that he needed to get a sweep here yeah. opening weekend. That'll be something else we talk about later, that he wanted to make sure the aces – got the look on Sunday and also because they had had success against Auburn already. So yeah. there, there's a lot to take from that for sure. But that's something that we'll be watching the rest of the year because truly it sounds like everything is on the table, every game three of every series for the rest of the season. Yeah. And, you know, I think after, especially what happened last year and, you know, we're still, you know, in the climate that we're in, you can't assume that the schedule is going to be what it is moving forward either. You, you got to get any win that you, that you can get when, when they're available uh, because you know, that something can happen. Uh, so you, you got to be ready. You got to get every, every game that you're playing, you got to play as though it's the most important one, which, you know, coaches already, you know, they preach that anyway. So that's nothing new, but it's like, it's, it's real. <laughs> it really is the case. You know, you, you got to be ready and you got to go out and, and win every possible game and that's something Alabama has done really well because I noticed, I know as we were walking out of the Auburn Stadium, uh, we started thinking back. And what what was the stat you, that you, we figured out? Yeah, since the start of 2019, that would be 10 conference series, including the eight in 2019, the one last year, the one this year. Alabama mm -hmm. has swept five of 10. It's ridiculous. And as I do the math in my head, I think three of the sweeps were on the road. Sweeps in general are precious things. You're not supposed to get those very often, and, and you don't in the SEC, especially on the road. And for Alabama to be taking care of that type of business, and it's it's why Alabama won the SEC by four games in 2019. And uh, so, and but it is a testament to knowing how to you know go ahead and finish things off because there's a lot of times you know you win that series the first two games and you maybe take the the foot off the gas a little bit for yeah. game number three, and Alabama's done a great job of doing the exact opposite. Early contender for name of the episode is a strong shot of Bailey's because, man, oh, man, it was him, Pill, and Dowling all weekend long, just 
kicking butt and taking names, Hemphill hitting home runs into outer space, causing craters in Auburn construction projects, and Bailey Dowling being the hero twice in game two. It was her RBI when the game was tied at one that proved to be the quote-unquote game winner. It was her Mm -hmm. three-run homer in game three that proved to be the quote-unquote game winner. So it was the Baileys who really controlled the offense for Alabama and just kept relentless pressure on the Auburn pitching staff all weekend long, despite a lot of runners left on base by both of them combined, actually. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah, the, the craziest stat, I think, from uh, Sunday's game was that Bailey Dowling left eight runners on on her own, but still had the three-run homer. Uh, so that tells you that Alabama is getting on base, that, pe- that the table is being set for the run producers, the Kaylee Tao, Bailey Dowling, and and Bailey Hemphill, when they're hitting home runs, for the most part, they're not solo home runs. They're you know they're, they're putting up crooked numbers. Really great to see that middle of the order, the run producers, really coming through and and helping. Like I said, the table setters, you know, the Max and and the Alyssa Browns, uh, KB sides getting on base, knocking them in. Yeah, you know, I'm going to talk more about the slappers in just a minute, but I do want to point out. As we said, the two most important people this weekend were who? Kaylee Tao and Bailey Dowling. On the series, eight for 23, seven RBIs, three doubles, two home runs combined. You'll take it. That, that'll Absolutely. work. You know, you get to the games where they do like Auburn did to Dowling over to a hemp pill on Saturday and some for most of Sunday, not giving her anything to hit is so important for the people behind her to pick her up. And Dowling and Tao definitely did that. All right, the slappers. Mack and Brown combined this week nine for 20 with five runs scored. Mack was five for 11. Brown was four for nine. This was after Alyssa Brown had a pretty bad two-week stretch by her standards. The average was below 200 in those last two weeks, but she looked good. And, and it was interesting because we kept commenting about how the defensive alignment seemed to be begging Alyssa Brown and Alexis Mack to hit the chip shot, to try and put it in the air. And they refused to. They used the small ball, the bunts, and the slap. And even though Auburn was playing defense set up to defend that, they could not stop them for the most part. Right. And that's, you know, when you have somebody as fast and Brown and Mac are, uh, you can have the perfect defense. And as long as the the slap makes that defense move just a little bit, you got a great chance of getting on base. And Mac can bring that which they both can, but Mac uses it more often. The regular bunt um, just perfectly placed. That, that can do just as well. And overall, I was very pleased with that performance. And I think a lot of it had to do with the return of KB sides at the top of the order, just kind of solidifying where everybody's spot is in that lineup. Sides being back is great. Um, she obviously was not 100%. She said as much, but she looked pretty good and after kind of a rough first few days started to get it together in game three just when Alabama needed her the most yeah yeah she had the she got to hit her very first at bat on Saturday on Friday and then kind of struggled a little bit Saturday or Friday and Saturday but then Sunday I think she got two two singles on Sunday if I'm correct and two for four uh, yeah and so but above all else like I said just solidified where everybody else was just Mac wasn't having to put extra pressure on herself as the leadoff. Brown had an extra person to knock in. Uh, so I think overall, it just it, it really kind of made you think, okay, this is, this is the team. Uh, we mentioned as well, we kind of think we know what the first team defense is now. We kinda, I think we kind of see what the Alabama 
starting starting nine, the starting 10 for the most part is going to be for this season. Let's look ahead and talk about that. The week is as it stands as we record. Now, by the time you listen to this, that could change. But as of right now, we are playing UAB on Wednesday in Birmingham. If you look at the weather app, there are some scary emojis. So right. I am not optimistic, but the weather looks really good this weekend for Tennessee. So let's operate in two different realities here. One where we are playing UAB, one where we are not. What's the pitching plan like in your mind, Tom? And, and does it change either way, honestly? To me, it really doesn't. Yeah, I don't think it, I don't think it affects the weekend. I think you will – I don't think you see Lex or uh, Montana against UAB Wednesday. I think it'll be – you know, that's a Sarah Cornell or Crystal Goodman start, in my opinion, with maybe Jayla Torrance coming in relief, uh, depending on how the game goes. I think you kind of see Tennessee kind of go the same way as Auburn. I think you start with Kilfoyle on Friday, Tana on Saturday, and then uh, just kind of see how they both do. I mean, you could go any direction, honestly, because I was worried about Alabama maybe tipping their hand with who they picked on Sunday and having that pitcher go complete, but Kilfoyle threw four against Auburn. Tana came in through three. That told Tennessee nothing. So right, yeah, <laughs> it could so, be either one. But we do think that will be the rotation in some capacity this weekend for right. sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think you see somebody other than Kilfoyle and or Fouts get a start in the conference. You know, barring injury. Uh, knock on wood, uh, but that doesn't mean we won't see the other pitchers. I just don't think they'll necessarily start. First team defense. Tell me if I'm wrong, Tom. We've got Hemphill behind the plate, Tao at first, Dowling at second, Jenkins at short, Morgan at third. Maybe a Morgan slash Clark situation there, yeah. but yeah, you got a platoon at third, but everything else I think is pretty much set. Yeah, Mack in left, Brown in center, sides in right. The only revolving door seems to be the DP situation, but we assume that won't be the case when Jenna Johnson comes back. So basically, it feels like this lineup is as solid as it will be for the rest of the season, unless somebody just goes on an absolute major slump. I think that I think that's the case. Um, you can, I think you might see a maybe a Sunday here and there where Happy Door starts catching just to give Bailey a, you know, a little bit of a rest. I think you kind of saw how important she is, even when she's behind the plate with Bailey Hemphill this weekend, uh, throwing out three people trying to steal, uh, does a great job with the pitching staff, great leader all the way around. So uh, I, I think if, if, if there is a, you know, an Abby door siding behind the plate, it's just for rest purposes, if nothing else. But still the, uh, the story this week was the strong shot of Bailey's and, you know, it was a road trip, Tom, where we couldn't actually partake in a true road trip environment. We kind of had to go to the restaurant and then go back to the lake house just because that's the way things are. But man, oh man, did it feel good to just be back on the road in the SEC, to be in venue, to be amongst the people. We actually, because the team had to walk by us every day, we got to talk to the players for the first know, time actually, all year. <laughs> we saw them, said hello. Yes, that was fun. I was within like 10 feet of Allison Habits. We were able to chat. It was great. Gave like air high fives to people. It was fun. Yeah. We gave yeah. Alexis Max scoreboard updates. I mean, <laughs> Friday night, she comes up to me. Who won Kentucky, Florida? <laughs> right. I know we won. How did everybody else do? And that's, uh, you know, you got to know where you are in the standings. That's right. It's time to advance to first. Who are we? Pick a Bailey. 
Well, we've been Hemphill before. I don't think we've been Dowling, actually. So okay, let's be Bailey Dowling. Sounds good. Hitting it off our own face on the scoreboard. And then rolling all the way back to where it's just a single. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that happens sometimes. Yeah, it was such a strong shot off the face. <laughs> Ron Alexander is umpiring, so he didn't see it being a home run. All right, it's time to advance the first. When we come back, SEC play is fully underway, y'all. The conference got going. There was another sweep. There might be another one. Who knows? We'll talk about it all on the other side here on the Out of Box Podcast. Welcome back. We're advancing to first here on the Out of the Box podcast. I'm Gray Robertson. That is Tom Canterbury, my radio partner for Alabama, and my scoreboard watching partner in the booth as well, because Tom, SEC conference play scoreboard updates were back, and oh my gosh, it was beautiful. Oh, they were rolling. Brought to you by the Out of the Box podcast. Follow us at Out of the Box underscore pod. Thank you. Presented yes. the out of the box podcast presented by Good Bull Barbecue. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Let's break down some of the SEC series as we record. And you'll notice when we talked to Madison Shipman in a bit, we recorded that segment before this one. When we talked to her, Mississippi State Ole Miss had not started as we record now. They're in the top of the fourth. Ole Miss leads Mississippi State to nothing. We will not update throughout the rest of the podcast because by the time you hear this, that game will be final. But it will shape a little bit about how we discuss that series, how that score changes. That's not mm-hmm. where we're starting. We're okay. starting with the other sweep. That is Arkansas sweeping South Carolina. I mean, all three games were tight. One went to extras. But the story was South Carolina just continuing to pitch to Braxton Burnside for literally no reason. She was 5 for 11 this week, 7 RBIs, 4 homers, 3 walks, and 5 runs scored. And Kelsey O just kept – kept giving her the low rise that she would take out of the park. Yeah, I mean, I know circumstances in the game can change and can kind of dictate how you how you handle those situations. But, I mean, take a look at what Auburn did. After Bailey Hemphill had the two home runs in game number one, she didn't see another strike until Sunday. At some point, you kind of have to just say, this person is having an absolute gargantuan weekend and we got to make somebody else beat us. And South Carolina didn't do that. And they are now tied for last in the conference. So that's interesting. Stop smiling, Tom. Uh, yes. Well, I wasn't right about all my predictions, as my my future memo and statement will say here in just a little bit. How concerned are we about Kelsey O? Because this weekend it was not good. 11 innings, nine hits, seven runs, all of them earned. Five walks to three strikeouts and four home runs allowed. That's uh, that's not good. That's just bad. Uh, which you know, which was my reasoning. And as, as I don't have anything specifically against South Carolina, uh, I just had huge questions about the pitching staff. When your ace has been hurt now for multiple seasons, and then you've been off for ten months, in general, uh, I, I just think it, it's a lot to ask for her to come back and be what she was when she was at her top uh, in 2018. So. Uh, that was part of the issue, and it uh, doesn't look like it has been resolved at all. In addition to that, Drotar has not been – this is the first weekend we've seen her at all. The top of their pitching staff has so many question marks, and that's been the issue. Um, and Arkansas certainly took advantage of that this weekend. And it also just felt like South Carolina was playing from behind the entire time, right? I mean, it felt like every time we checked the scores, because 
I mean, unfortunately, I want to watch this series, but they were on at the same time we were pretty much every day. But it felt like Arkansas was always in the lead and South Carolina mm-hmm. was chasing and just trying to tie it. And then Arkansas would pretty immediately take the lead again. And I mean, you just can't win like that in this conference. No, no. and that's, you know, I mentioned, you know, I thought part of Alabama's keys to victory was getting on top first. And the tide did that two out of three. It is so important especially when you're on the road to try to grab that momentum early. You take that fact that you're batting first uh, to your advantage and Arkansas was able to do that. Again, if you're fighting from behind the entire time, that just, it's so taxing on you both, you know, mentally and physically, you know, you got your figuring, you're, you're always had that mindset of, we got to, we got to battle back. We got to battle back instead of trying to, you know, be in a spot where, things are being successful and you can kind of protect it. You're always just trying to chip away and fight. And uh, that can be really taxing. Well, we looked earlier this past weekend and we said, gosh, Arkansas might start out six and zero with ease because next weekend, or I guess this weekend, they've got Ole Miss, but maybe not because Ole Miss took the first two from Mississippi state just in dominant fashion, outscoring the Bulldogs 10 to one in the first two games. And as we said, winning game three, as we record right now, Fale Lua hitless again, as we record still hitless on the series, Mississippi state through two games had a team batting average of 176. Annie Willis got lit up. Emily Williams got lit up. I have a lot I could say, but instead, Tom, you have a statement you have prepared for this moment. Uh, I would just like to say to the American people, I, Tom Canterbury, was very much on the Mississippi State bandwagon. Uh, I picked them fifth in the SEC, which is higher than most people had them. And now I'm finding out why most people did not have them as high as as I did. I hereby renounce my bandwagon ship on the Mississippi State team this year. I, I don't know what has happened, uh, but it's not good. I was riding on the fact that one, the pitching staff would continue to improve and that Mia Davidson and Falalua were going to be that scary one, two punch uh, that they have been throughout their entire career in Starkville. And uh, they appear to not be. So um, I have hereby renounced my bandwagon ship for Mississippi state. What will it take to get back on? The ship may have sailed. Um, May I just I mean, say, I this is not our our lack of belief in Mississippi State does not change the fact that we love Samantha Riggs. We do one hundred percent. One of our favorite freaking people in college yes. softball. But man, it's not it's not happening right now, and yeah. I don't get it. I was talking to some people who got to watch the games because again, all the games are at the same time, so really we didn't get to see very much of anything, and. I just, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. It seems like Mississippi State can't make adjustments in the box. And Anna Borgen is out here just throwing heat and striking everybody right. out. No, I would say maybe the one thing that will, that will maybe take a look at it again would be if Ole Miss has really good success against Arkansas next weekend. Okay. Then I'll say, okay, maybe they kind of run into a boss, a, you know, somebody that's playing really well at Buzzsaw here this week. I would be shocked if that happens. So we'll see. Well, we'll keep an eye on game three, but right now it ain't looking good for Mississippi State, and a sweep would be a shocker, honestly. Who didn't have, after week one, Alabama, Arkansas, and Ole Miss at the top of the SEC standings? Who didn't think that was going to happen? 
We've got two more series we need to cover before we move on to the FGCL corner. The first, Florida winning two of three against Kentucky. Florida won the first two games, both three to one. Kentucky won game three, four to two and nine. I do want to highlight something that I was notified about in the middle of our game three, Alabama-Auburn. Someone texted me, stop what you're doing and watch Riley Smith's catch for Kentucky. And I said, ha no, I am on the air. I can't just stop. We, but, we, li- we literally can't, but I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I wish. Yeah. But I watched it after, and Riley Smith did save the game with a diving catch in game three. Florida would have walked it off in the seventh. Instead, Kentucky comes back and wins. And as, we, uh, as we're going to talk about with Madison coming up, I feel like I haven't learned anything. You know, I had questions about Kentucky's offense because they haven't played anybody. Kentucky's offense hits 177 on the weekend. Mm. I had questions about Florida's offensive continuity. I have the stat right here. Eccles, Lindemann, Adams hit 324 this weekend with five RBIs. Everybody else in the lineup, 171 with two RBIs. Are we in 2019 again? Maybe. Tim Walton hopes not. Elizabeth Hightower looked good, but then Kentucky got to her in game three. So my concerns for both teams did not get alleviated whatsoever this weekend. Yeah, uh, it's, it's weird how that kind of played out where yeah, the enigmas kind of continue, uh, definitely with Kentucky. I, I think I have a little bit more confidence in Florida than you do, but I, I still am a, l- a little concerned with their offense and then who who is pitching behind Hightower. And Hightower got, got got finally on Sunday. So I still think Kentucky – I still think Florida is going to b- finish up a little bit higher than Kentucky overall just based – again, I don't want to overreact on – one weekend, but uh, there are still some concerns for sure. I'm just saying, Tom, we're going to pick it later. Possible trappy Florida at Mississippi State next weekend. I'm just saying, Mm. Mississippi State wants to get right. What better way to do it than bringing in the Gators, who you beat the last time you played in a series in Gainesville. Right. Well, I mean, still they were still the fifth seed overall, even after that that loss. Mm. It's never going to make sense. Never. It will never make sense. All right. Last one we need to talk about, and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about this series coming up because we've got Madison Shipman and Brian Rice coming on later in the show. But LSU takes two or three against Tennessee, destroys the Lady Vols in game three, 11 to three and five. LSU got production one through nine. Pitching did what it had to do for the Tigers. And I think uh, something that we've talked a lot about is not bailing on LSU quite yet. I think my belief was shaken in the Tigers for sure based on the early results, but your 2020 Alabama comparison looks like it's really holding right now. Yeah. And we'll see how it continues on, but yeah, I I just think, you know, they played such a tough non-conference schedule that it was hard for them. Similar to Alabama last year, it was hard for them to get some get right games in there because you were playing top 25 games almost every night. Maybe they're going to get that opportunity here. And it's something we'll talk with Brian and Madison about too, is that the the fact that they had to play a doubleheader on Saturday than Sunday, that's really going to hurt teams that are, have a definite number one pitcher they're relying on because that number one's going to have to pitch in back-to-back games instead of having the day off in between. Uh, so maybe that that factored into some of the performance for Ashley Rogers, but uh, I think there's a little bit of worrisome there after the performance in Knoxville. I just for sure think that, the questions and concerns I had for LSU have been not necessarily answered, 
but I just trust them a lot more because in the last two weekends against really good teams, they have found a way to fight and to dominate a third game. Because if you remember against Texas game one, you know, was pulled over from rain. They lost game two went to extras. They found a way to win game three waxed Texas Mm -hmm. here in Knoxville game one, holdover from rain. They won game two extras. Once again, just like game one, they lost game three waxed Tennessee. So it seems like this is an LSU team that's finding ways to make adjustments and just finding ways to get stronger as these series go on, which, you know, could bode well for the late season swoon. We're always seemingly expecting from LSU. That's possible. Yeah. I think we're just seeing, you know, I remember after the two games at Alabama, I was going through and it's like, there were just holes in the lineup. There were, players that were doing absolutely nothing and Ali Andrews actually didn't do a whole lot offensively against Alabama I don't think I think she was over the the, the two games if I remember correctly maybe, maybe got one on once yeah. maybe one hit but yeah she she didn't do a whole lot uh, at the plate whatever the issue was and it might have been just you know Fouts and Kilfoyle being really really good uh she seems to have found herself with her at the top of the order that's a whole different lineup it's time for Gray's FGCL corner Yes, Tom, the FGCL Player of the Week. Again, the rules, only 2020 FGCL participants are eligible. That's Florida Gulf Coast League, the first summer college softball league. We've had four winners. Week one, Mackenzie Ball, Southern Utah. Week two, Haley Lee, Texas A&M. Week three, Shani Sale from Oklahoma. And week four, Mac Leonard from Illinois State. And now, Tom, we've got six new nominees. Like it. I will read this to you on, by the way, Oscar nominations day. So again, it all just ties together. It's all awards, except, you know, you don't actually get a trophy for these like you do. But I actually care about these ones. So this is fun. (laughs) Everyone should go see Nomadland. All right. That's my Oscar spiel, including me. I haven't seen it yet. All right. (laughs) We will start off once again, another nomination for Brianna Roper, Georgia Tech. Six of 16 this weekend, six RBIs, two homers, a double, a walk, five runs scored. Big shout out to my girl at Alabama State, Jasmine Dodd. An incredible weekend in only a couple games. Six of seven, three RBIs, and three runs scored. We've got a newbie, Kelsey Bennett, Virginia Tech, six for 11, nine runs batted in. Four homers, a walk, two strikeouts, and five runs scored in four mm. games against NC State coming back from COVID pause. So yeah, factor that in to our vote. Lindsay Tony Gay of Towson, five for 12, four RBIs, a couple homers, a double, a strikeout, two runs scored. I include that because, and I'm just going off memory here, I should have written it down. I think last season she was hitting approximately – somewhere around there maybe barely over 100 so she is proven to be a pretty good force in the lineup for Towson to start the year well that shows you how important it is if you have the opportunity it's important to to have that up get some more reps get you know against live pitching it's only going to help you so great job by her two repeat nominees before we pick our winner Tom last week's winner Mac Leonard Illinois State this one's going to be hard because She's a two-way player, and we have to decide how we want to evaluate. At the plate, two for 16, a double, two walks, a strikeout, a run scored. But 
in the circle, 14 innings, six hits, one run. It was earned eight walks, nine strikeouts, including a shutout victory on, I think, Saturday night. Not great at the plate, but a fantastic, maybe her best week in the circle so far this year. Yeah, I, I think you can. I think you give everyone maybe a little bit of leeway because you're a two-way player if one side isn't as good as the other. But I don't think you can totally eliminate the other side just because you do well on one, if that makes sense. So it does. Uh, yeah. So credit to her for being a two-way player, and it brings so much to the table. But uh, sometimes that means uh, you'll, you'll suffer when one side doesn't do as well. All right, last nominee, Haley Lee, Texas A&M. I mean, I feel like she's going to be on this list every time, right? Stop pitching to her, too. <laughs> Nine of 15, a single RBI, a home run, a couple doubles, three walks, seven runs scored. I mean, just the production is out of this world. And yeah, a- another player who was – she was much better at the plate than Tony Gay – last season but man she is skyrocketed this year into a real force in that aggie lineup and really i mean she's if you had to pick it right now she might be sec player of the year i mean my goodness i i honestly haven't thought that far ahead i'll definitely give you first team all sec catcher that right now would be on lock yeah player of the year i wow that's i mean again if you had to pick it after one week yeah I haven't even thought about that. You know, in a couple of weeks, we're going to do our mid-season awards. Yeah. In the spirit of <laughs> the continuous giving of things when we don't sure. actually give anything <laughs> to any of the winners. <laughs> the, the continuous trophies of which there are none. <laughs> All right. Speaking of winners, who you got, Tom? Of the six. I feel bad for Brianna Roper because I think she's probably been deserving of it a couple of times. Uh, but I am – I would say – my vote will go to Kelsey Bennett from Virginia Tech. I'm with you on Bree Roper, by the way. This is a Georgia Tech team that's just not winning right now. Mm-hmm. And Bree Roper is on this list twice. It tells you something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm going to go with Kelsey Bennett. The four home runs, including three in one game, which I should have mentioned. I apologize. That's a, uh, that's a remarkable feat. And to do it out of COVID after yeah. having the pause, just really well done. So, yeah. Kelsey Bennett, week five winner. Boom. In the in five weeks, we have five different winners. Five different winners. Now, I should note, Kelsey Bennett did not get to play very much in the FGCL. She had to go home with an injury early. So, I am putting that disclaimer out there. But she did play this year. She was on a roster at the beginning. That's how I got all these names that I track. So, Kelsey Bennett, you're the week five winner. Congrats. All right, Tom. What's that over there? As I look through the stat broadcast on my computer and see Ole Miss with the bases loaded, I also see the sign. I think it's time for the green light guys to get going. Let's go. Off with the pitch. Here we go. It's time to steal second with just one of the best. I think think she was my shortstop for the the out-of-the-box SEC draft a while back. Mm. Madison Shipman from Tennessee. Yes, one of our favorites, one of Patrick Murphy's favorites. And uh, we'll have a lot of fun talking with her. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about everything. And I'm not just talking SEC. I have questions about Arizona. We're opening with that. Madison Shipman will join the show on the other side as we get ready to steal second here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Welcome back to 
the Out of the Box Podcast. It is time for us to steal second with one of our favorite guests. You know her as the former Tennessee Lady Vol, the ESPN analyst, one of Patrick Murphy's favorite opponents ever, Madison Shipman, joining us here on the Out of the Box Podcast as we steal second. Madison, welcome back. How are you? I am doing great. I think I might need to hire you to do my introduction everywhere I go. I, I liked that one. <laughs> well, thank you. We try and update the people on, on what uh, our guests are doing. And it's been a while since we've talked with you. I, I can't remember, honestly, if we talked in 2020. I know we wanted to, but the season was shortened. Yeah. So what have you been up to? <laughs> it, it has definitely been a while. Well, uh, I had another baby. So I am now a mom of two. Uh, she, my daughter Kennedy is five weeks old now. So I have a 15 month old running around and a five week old running around. Ooh. So that it's definitely taken up majority of my time recently, uh, but it's a blast. It is for sure a blast. I really hope that uh, the SEC tournament gets to be held in person. Cross our fingers. That way, both my kids can make a trip down to Tuscaloosa to see the Rhodes House. Are you already teaching her shortstop maneuvers and things that she might need to know at five yeah, weeks? We're practically already running through ladder drills. Uh, my, my son has been throwing the ball left-handed, so we're definitely pushing that one to stay. I, of course, cannot throw left-handed to save my life, but definitely want him to throw lefty and maybe hit lefty too. So we busted okay. out his tee a couple of weeks ago, um, so he's already getting coached up in the house. That's what we that's, love to hear, right, Tom? <laughs> that's that's the way to do it because you don't even have to be like elite to be to be successful as a left-hander in, in pitching yeah, wise. Major League Baseball, lefty all the way, lefty Boom. all the way. My my <laughs> nephew is left-handed and he pitches, so we are trying to follow in his footsteps. <laughs> there you go, love it. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's so much for us to talk about. SEC conference play got underway this past weekend, but I kind of wanted to start with the big non-SEC series last week because we saw Florida State take two of three against Arizona a couple days after Arizona lost to UCF. The Wildcats only scored three runs in the series against the Seminoles against a pitching staff that I don't love, if I'm being quite honest. So I'm concerned a little bit about Arizona. Should we be worried about the Wildcats right now after what's been kind of a bad week for them? Honestly, I, I wouldn't worry about them. I, I think that they have such a strong offensive lineup. I think they're going to pick it up eventually. I think what you're seeing from a lot of teams is the hitters, especially trying to find their groups. I mean, like you mentioned, they haven't been able to hit live since March of 2020. So that's a long way to go without seeing uh, a live pitching that's not wearing your same color jersey, because we all know how that is. By the end of fall practice and by the end of January, everybody's hating inter-squad scrimmages, and you're just dying to play somebody else that isn't wearing your same color jersey. But I don't worry about the Wildcats at all. I think that they did something that I would say uh, kind of stepped out of their box, typically known for, for going to the East Coast and playing preseason games. So I think that's big for them to make the trip. It was, what, a 10-day long road trip, I believe, for them playing a bunch of top opponents. And that UCF pitcher, Brianna Macha, she's a transfer from Boise State, she was throwing the ball really, really well that night, had a great rise balls. But at the end of the day, I don't worry about the Wildcats. I think that they're going to settle in and uh, really do well in Pac-12 play. And something that you just mentioned kind of made me think of something is that we saw that with Alabama, they had the one nothing loss to South Alabama and South Alabama's pitcher wins national pitcher of the week for that, for that performance. Um, 
how it what can you take when that happens when just somebody just you know plays in the circle just kind of goes you know kind of over their head out of their mind for for a game it is really well shuts you down uh what can that do when you have what is an elite offense and they just have a bad type of, and they have a bad game I think you can learn a lot from the losses. And I know everybody says that, but when you're a team like Arizona or you're a team like Alabama, every time you set foot onto the field, you have this giant target on your back. Everybody is going out to beat you. And when you play teams like UCF and South Alabama, they're going to give you their 100%, 100% of the time. And now that doesn't mean that your Alabamas and Arizonas aren't giving 100%. You just tend to see those teams play out of their minds. Like you said, making diving play, you know, it's just because they are so hyped up to get an opportunity to play in Tuscaloosa. Um, And and those are the types of games that a team like Alabama has to bring their energy. It's not already there for them, like when you're playing a a SEC matchup on the weekends. So I think that's something that you can learn uh, from those types of games. And at the end of the day, when a pitcher is having a great day, you tip your hat to them. Uh, I mean, as a good softball hitter, a a great softball hitter, you're still going to fail six out of 10 times. So at the end of the day, if a pitcher is having themselves one of those days where the ball is moving through the zone, you just got to tip your hat and say, I'm going to get you next time. (laughs) And you mentioned Pac-12 play starting up. Arizona starts off with Washington. And I just, I don't even know. I mean, the Pac-12 has gone to four games, so it's already confusing. One's a non-conference game. I think it's game three of the four that's the non-conference game but Washington has Gabby playing in the circle and nobody else Arizona seemed to struggle more with the rise ball pitchers this past week Gabby playing has that but I wouldn't say that's her best pitch so I'm curious what you think will happen in that series is is Washington ready to maybe I guess take three out of four or will Arizona be able to get back on track against playing and the rest of that Washington pitching staff I think that experience that Arizona gained from going across the country, going down to Florida, playing different opponents like Florida State, and in, like I said, even, you know, playing UCF with Gianna Macha in the circle for them, I think is going to give them an advantage over at Washington. Now, Gabby Plain is great, and like we just said, if a pitcher is having one heck of a day, they're going to shut down an offense, no doubt. Uh, but, but I would – when it comes to that series, I'm going to put my money on Arizona being able to take, I, I think that they'll end up taking at least three of those games, just from wow. what I've seen. Moving to the SEC, you are going to be on the call for the Friday LSU Tennessee game, which unfortunately got moved, but um, we saw the Tigers come to Knoxville and take two or three from Tennessee. Um, I know some people kind of jumped off the LSU bandwagon when they struggled a little bit in the pre-conference, but uh, they they kind of showed that they were still an elite team this weekend. What did you see from LSU and then also from Tennessee? Definitely a rough ending to the weekend for sure. Uh, rough might be putting it mildly, um, but uh, but for, for LSU, I think what you're seeing out of them, you, you look at their numbers and statistically, they don't stand out. They're not going to jump at you, but when you look at their strength of schedule, they played coming into that Tennessee series, they had played 10 top 25 games, nine of which were top 10 matchups, and a lot of that has to do with rainouts or 
freeze outs, if we're going to call that first week of the series or of the season. Um, and and they, they just happen to be centrally located to a lot of top 10 competition. So they added these games uh, and they happen to be against really, really good teams. So you're not going to see your stats skyrocket when you're playing a number seven Texas or a number nine ULL. It's just the nature of the beast. But I think that playing that type of competition really helped them going into SEC play because they're prepared. They, they know what it's like to play a top 25 team, whereas Tennessee had not faced a top 25 opponent until this past weekend. And I think you saw that from Tennessee's pitching staff that they just didn't have that experience. Good competition. Uh, one of the things I like about LSU's team is uh, they don't necessarily have that one arm that they're going to ride in the circle all, you know, every single game, but they have a bunch of different pitchers that have the potential to start on any given day. So it makes it really hard for opponents to prepare for a team like LSU because you just have so many pitchers that are going through your mind. Uh, offensively, of course, Aaliyah Andrews uh, is the spark plug for them offensively, and she's added a whole new element to her game. She's not just a slapper. She's not just a touch-and-go kind of kid, um, but she also has has the potential to literally hit the ball out of the ballpark, which we saw her do against Texas. So I think it makes it even harder for defenses to keep her off the base paths when they can't just squeeze her on the corners. Um, so that's a whole other level uh, of dynamics to their offense, along with the power numbers from a, somebody like Amanda Doyle or Shelby Sinceri, who can hit the ball out of the park at any given time. When it comes to Tennessee, I think you saw LSU exploit the fact that they rely heavily on one arm. Now that one arm is Ashley Rogers and she can shut down any offense on any given day. That rise ball is absolutely deadly. She has a, an off speed that she throws in there, but also a curveball that she's really perfected in the off season that runs low and, and away to the right-handed batters. But the rest of their pitching lineup really needs to step up and somebody needs to take command of that number two role so that you're not just having to rely on Ashley Rogers. But their lineup, they still have the potential to hit the ball uh, out of the park at any given time. Somebody you definitely want to keep an eye on is Kiki Malloy. She is so athletic, so strong up in the box, has uh, 10 home runs already on the season, has really been the leader for them offensively so far. But those pitching struggles are definitely something that they're going to have to shore up going through SEC play. Madison Shipman joining us here on the Out of the Box podcast. And our buddy Brian Rice is joining us a little bit later on in the show. And I'm going to ask him this question too. But you just talked about Tennessee relying on one arm. How alarming is it to you that the two losses Tennessee had in the series were in the Ashley Rogers starts? I, that you definitely bring up a, a good point there. I think uh, when you're looking at somebody like Ashley Rogers, she's gonna she's gonna give up the long ball because she's a rise ball pitcher. That just kind of comes with the territory. Uh, so that first game we we knew was going to be a, a tough matchup, and when it came to game three. Uh, she came out and you could tell that her endurance was a little bit lacking because the spin on the ball wasn't quite as tight. The ball wasn't jumping quite as much. And I think that's where LSU ended up having the advantage of playing the double header on Saturday versus the one game a day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, so I think her having to pitch back-to-back -back days, and she also threw in that game two as well. So she pitched in all three games. I don't think that she's going to be able to go out there and throw three games every single series because she's still coming back from that injury. Now, granted, she's feeling much better 
um, and pretty much 100%. But that endurance is something that you can only get experience in doing playing games, which she hasn't done in a long time. So um, I think that that can be a little bit worrisome. Now, if the rain hadn't come around, I think that might have made a bit of a difference, her not having back-to-back days. So I wouldn't fret too, too much. But at the same time, I definitely think Tennessee needs to figure out the pitching behind Rodgers. And last thing on LSU, um, I'm kind of liking them a lot to 2020 Alabama. Very talented roster, a lot of preseason hype, really tough non-conference schedule, and you took you know, the record not what you want it to be. Uh, but I've, I've thought, Gray and I, we've talked about it a lot, that the that series against Arkansas right before everything shut down in 2020 was kind of like a pivoting point. We thought Alabama was about to take off and have a really good uh, rest of the season. Could this type of series be that thing for LSU this year as well, kind of a pivot point and uh, and taking off to a really successful conference uh, season? I definitely think so. And for LSU, when I look at it, I think that the big turning point really for them was against Texas. I'm going to go in even a weekend before. So before Mm -hmm. SEC play started and even talking to coach Tarina, we needed those wins. She was a little worried because she had made a schedule that was almost too tough for her team. And it was going to hurt their confidence going into SEC play, but then being able to come out with those two wins against a top 10 team gave them so much confidence. They were out there going, Oh, we can do this. We are this good because like you said girls hear all the hype that that everything's out there on social media they're not blind to it they're taking that in and so when you lose so many games even though you know it's against tough competition it can really be hard on the confidence so for them to come out and take two out of three against Texas and then of course do what they did to Tennessee especially ending on the note that they did I would not doubt that they go into the rest of SEC play being very successful Well, and with that comparison, Tom also provides the perfect segue into the next series we want to talk about, which is Alabama's sweep over Auburn. Of course, Tennessee and Alabama coming up this weekend, but the Crimson Tide got it done on the Plains. Obviously, it's tough anyway because it's a rivalry game. The last two games were not easy at all for Alabama, but they found ways to win. What were your impressions of the Tide here this weekend? Well, I think you just said it. Finding ways to win, I think, is something that your great teams know how to do. It might not be pretty every single day, but you just manage to get it done. And Auburn's a team that kind of has flown under the radar to me, but they have good young pitching. And uh, so I was really excited to be able to watch them face off this this past weekend. But Alabama, of course, coming out on top, I think. Whenever I watch Montana Fouts, I get even more impressed with her demeanor in the circle, but also the way that she's able to locate pitches down at the knees. I can guarantee you I would have uh, had a very rough day against Montana Fouts if I were hitting against her. It might have been a golden sombrero day for for Maddie Shipman up at the plate, but thank goodness I don't have to hit against her. Um, but, uh, but also, uh, I'm going to call them the Baileys having themselves a weekend. I don't think that that ball that Hemphill hit has landed yet. And I know we joked about that before we got on here, but uh, I, I just think that Alabama is one of those teams that has the speed, has the pitching, has the power potential. Uh, and they're one of my picks for, for making it deep into the postseason. That's one thing we were talking about with Alabama earlier was they, especially offensively, they don't necessarily just blow you away like Oklahoma does, uh, but they have the players that can get the hits when you need them. And when you have a pitching staff like Alabama has with Kilfoyle and Fouts, um, that's going to, you can play with absolutely anybody. 
Oh, without a doubt. And, and just having that extra arm like Hillfoil, I think makes a huge difference because like we were just talking about with Rogers with Tennessee, I mean, if you pitch your, your number one pitcher day in and day out, they're going to get worn down eventually. But I've got to imagine that it gives Fouts a lot of uh, confidence out there in the circle too, knowing that she's, she doesn't have to be the one to get it done every single day. And I think that holds true for your, for the offense as well, that there's not just one person that you're relying on to get a hit every time there's runners in scoring position, but there's several people throughout that lineup that can get it done. All right. I want to ask you about this next series because I went into Kentucky, Florida, looking for answers. Okay. Kentucky's unbeaten. They haven't played anyone. I mean, anybody. Florida has played some people, but I was still concerned. You know, they were walking off Georgia Southern and and barely could score against some non-power five teams and the pitching staff was, I, I don't know. There was an uneasy feeling there. And I feel like I haven't learned anything else even after the series. <laughs> Am I right? Or, or did you get anything, any more clarity about the Gators and the Wildcats after this weekend? You know, that series went about as I expected it to. Uh, Caleb yeah. Rowe and I were texting back and forth before the series, like, who you got? And, and my feeling was saying Florida. Uh, even though I know Kentucky had come in, uh, was it 19-0, and 0, undefeated, uh, there, there's just something about Florida and maybe because I have a bad experience playing against Florida, but there's something about Florida where they, they, they're one of those teams that managed to get the job done, even though it might not look pretty day in and day out. And I'm a big, big fan of Charlotte Eccles and her presence up in the box. And I think that something that's elevated her game as well and forced people to have to pitch to her is the fact that Hannah Adams is hitting so well ahead of her. Uh, you even look at the game that Florida lost to Kentucky. What was that game three? And they were down two nothing in the bottom of the seventh inning. Hannah Adams comes up and hits a solo shot over the center field wall. Uh, those are the types of leadership capabilities that even though you might not have won that game, to have that person that has that experience to come up with the game on the line, those pressure at bats and be able to get the job done for you are, are things that are really impressive to me. And, and that will hold true going down the line into SEC play. And of course, into the postseason as well. Uh, what, the one pitcher that I've been really impressed with for Florida has been Elizabeth Hightower. And I think that one thing that she has done really well is manage to hit spots. She's not going to blow you away with her velocity. She doesn't have just this out of this world movement, but she can pinpoint the same location. And if the umpire gives her a little bit outside, she's going to keep working that ball farther and farther away and just test those limits of what the umpire is going to give her. And I think that's why she's been successful. So to answer your question, I, I think that uh, there are a little bit of questions in the air for me as far as Florida goes, but I think a lot of that goes back to even last season, who's going to fill the role of Kelly Barnhill. And I, to be perfectly honest, I don't think they have a Kelly Barnhill, but I think that's okay because they have a pitching staff that they can utilize on any given day. And I think we're kind of seeing this sport of softball trend that direction to where you don't have that one arm that's going to throw three quarters of your innings, but you actually have an entire staff to throw out an opposing uh, team. And to answer the other question, Kentucky, yes, remains an enigma, uh, as, as they always are. That's, that's what we talk about them. Yes, yes. And it's funny, uh, Coach Lawson actually coached the one of the professional teams I played on, the Scrapyard Dogs, one summer. And she had uh, joined that coaching staff so that she could learn more about hitting. And she, because she said, my team's always known for their pitching. We can pitch, but I want to know how to hit. And I want to have that strong offensive front against all these other teams. And now I think when you look at their team, they 
hit the ball like crazy. And I think their pitching is the one thing that's a little bit of a question mark going forward into SEC play. So it's interesting to see how things have turned a little bit. Um, but uh, Aaron Koffel, the freshman for them, is unbelievable. Definitely keep your eyes on her. And uh, it's always fun watching Grace Ballman and Autumn Humes because uh, they're two-way players. So what more could you ask for than your pitchers going up there and hitting the balls over the, the bullpen like Grace Ballman did against Florida this weekend. But, but yes, I, I do think that Kentucky's going to face some challenges moving forward into SEC play. And I don't think it's going to be offensively. I think it's going to be more of their pitching staff. But except the home run by Ballman, I, w- I do have to correct you here. It wasn't over the bullpen. It was over the Guido Adler pitching lab. No, the Let's... pitching lab. Yes, my bad. It was the pitching lab, not the bullpen. Sorry. You you are very correct on that one. The Florida I, I people they they run the experiments for a reason. They don't want they don't want that. <laughs> I stand corrected. Uh, she hit it over the the pitching lab. <laughs> right. That's that's just oh it's it's the best. Uh, so with uh, these uh, big sweep, another big sweep in the conference this weekend was Arkansas going on the road to South Carolina and getting the sweep there. Uh, we talked with everybody before the season in our SEC or our softball media days, but uh, I think Gray and I were both really really impressed with Courtney Diefel and you can understand how she's going to be able to build what she's building in Arkansas um, and we thought it was going to be with the pitching but we haven't seen Autumn Storms a whole lot this year it's been mostly Mary Half but man that offense looks absolutely incredible right now yeah and I think it's another team that's kind of flown under the radar too and all of a sudden you look at this weekend and you're like oh man like they're definitely an offense to be reckoned with and uh, like you said, I, I, we haven't seen Autumn Storms, and I've always liked the combination of Mary Half and Autumn Storms in the circle because you have to prepare for both of them completely differently if, if you're an opposing offense. Uh, Mary's going to be spinny, throwing the ball up in the zone, uh, whereas Autumn Storms works the ball hard down in the zone. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I was super impressed with their offense this weekend because South Carolina is good too, and they have some good pitchers on that staff as well. Uh, Kelsey O got a really nice rise ball for them, but – Arkansas got the better of them all three games this past weekend. Yeah, I wanted to ask about South Carolina compared to another team who got swept, compared to another team who might get swept tonight, because as we record, Ole Miss Mississippi State's about to start. Who should you be more concerned about, Auburn, Mississippi State, or South Carolina after the way weekend one played out in the SEC? Well, I'm definitely not concerned uh, about Auburn because that is young pitching going up a very uh, going up against a very good Alabama offense. So I think that they're going to learn a lot from this past series and take that into the rest of SEC play. Uh, as far as the one that I would be worried about, mm, it's a it's a toss up between well, I guess possibly Mississippi State and South Carolina. I, I to me, what sticks out more is South Carolina because I think that they have a lot of veterans on that team that aren't necessarily performing the way that I think that they would want to be performing at this point in the season. And those are types of things where uh, being a veteran can be a really good thing because you bring experience out there. But also I think you, you know in the back of your head how short the season actually is and you can put way too much pressure on themselves to get the job done. Uh, they can look at this the schedule and go, oh my gosh, we're already two weekends into SEC play and try to press too much, especially up at the plate to get the job done. And that's where we all know as hitters, that's where things tend to go and spiral. Um, so I think for them, it's, it's a matter of really taking this week to regroup, refocus um, and attack the next challenge ahead. This weekend, it's Alabama and Tennessee and Tuscaloosa. 
you know what it's like to come in as a Tennessee Lady Vol to the Rhodes House. Uh, don't have quite the atmosphere we usually do. Going to have about a thousand instead of four thousand in in Rhodes Stadium, but uh, still should be a, a really good atmosphere. Um, and Alabama playing really well. Tennessee had their struggles last week. What do you expect this weekend? Uh, I, my my volunteer fan base is not going to like this very much, but I think Alabama is going to take control of this series, and I think that they're going to do it early. Uh, now, I, I think that they're going to have to make some adjustments off of Ashley Rogers because Rogers does have the potential to shut down any offense on any given day, but the, the duo between Kilfoyle and, and Fouts in the circle is just unbelievable, and I, I think that um, if you can just get even just a couple of run support behind them, I think you're going to win majority of your games. And I wouldn't doubt that the thousand Alabama fans will 100% sound like there are 4,000 fans in the stands. I don't doubt that at all. Uh, I unfortunately did not have great experiences down in Tuscaloosa as far as being a lady volunteer. I do remember a, a couple of J train bombs going well over my head. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I don't think that the things are going to turn in the direction of the lady volunteers this weekend either who do we need to call about tennessee's conference schedule i mean what is this opening with lsu and then at alabama i why <laughs> I, I guess the good thing is is you get to just knock the the really tough opponents out first uh, right the first couple of weekends of the the series uh, but it seems that way that they tend to schedule things that way because i remember back the i guess it was the 2019 season they started off conference play with florida yeah so what a better way to introduce your freshman to the sec rather than facing one of the top teams in it well it should be a lot of fun we hope it, it, it'll be a, an exciting matchup and this is our first time getting to see ashley rogers in person i'm really excited to see how she looks in the circle and how alabama's offense tries to adjust to her and make sure to heckle one uh, Allie shipman behind the plate if you get a chance to <laughs> oh, for sure don't tell her i said that don't tell her I said that. <laughs> we won't tell anyone. Don't worry. <laughs> That's Madison Shipman joining us here on the Out of the Box podcast as we steal second. The Lady Vol, the ESPN analyst, Madison Shipman. Thank you so much for joining us. It's always great to see you. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. All right. That was Madison Shipman. And now, Tom, we're off to talk to one of our radio brethren, Brian Rice. Oh, always, always fun talking with Brian. I, I feel... Uh, I feel a kindership with him having been outside last weekend because he's going to be outside this weekend. That's right. And it'll be really fun to see one of our colleagues in person again. Yes. Because I feel like I haven't seen one of our softball media members in person since early 2020. I know. Yeah, it's been very odd. I was I was happy to see all the uh, – it's one of those times – you won't hear me say this very often. I was happy to see Auburn people this past weekend. So I'm happy, I'm happy to see now Tennessee people. It's, they were so it's nice. a crazy time. Yeah, they were They really gave nice. us paper. I mean, it was great. <laughs> uh, yes. No one will get that, but it's fun. Hmm. Well, either way, that was Madison Shipman. It's time to round third. On the other side, Brian Rice is here. We're going to talk all things Tennessee as we get ready for Alabama and Tennessee coming up this weekend. That's next here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. That's Tom Canterbury. I'm Gray Robertson. We're rounding third here with our good friend, Brian Rice, a part of the radio family, the radio voice for the Tennessee Lady Vols. Brian, hello. How are you? Welcome in. Greetings, gentlemen. Uh, I have to say, I know people out there can't see it, but the wardrobe for today's interview is a piece of the jersey collection. Back in 1997, Tennessee made its first trip to Alabama to play softball. And this jersey was worn on that trip. Acquired it a couple of years ago. Those games, 11-1 to and 6-3 in favor of Tennessee. Now, we haven't had quite as much success since then, but maybe it'll bring a little karma for this weekend. Wow. And that's, that is pre-Patrick Murphy as head coach Alabama in 1997. He was an assistant, but he wasn't the head man yet. And many years before uh, Ralph and Karen began their reign on Rocky Top. Wow, that's that's hmm. impressive, Brian. Nicely done. I'm just wearing the shirt I didn't wear this past weekend. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I feel that deep in my soul uh, with a still unpacked bag from the Texas A&M trip last week uh, up in my living room, much to my wife's chagrin. At least you got to go to Texas A&M this year. Yeah, that's you, true. Yeah, we we, go to good we were at the same. Different airline, but the same gate at McGee Tyson Airport for um, they had because of Delta's restrictions. We typically fly Delta, hashtag not a paid endorsement, but um, because of their restrictions on how full they'll make their airplanes, the team went with on a Delta flight, Knoxville, Atlanta, Houston, and then um, myself and several of our staff members, including um, your all's good friend Hunter King, had to go on an American flight, the Dallas to Houston and get in the car and drive. So uh, I got to go through the same gate that I did not get to last year at this time. So grateful for that. But did you make the trip to Good Bull? That's the question. Did you I eat did. lunch? Yeah. How was it? I did. Uh, it was terrific. Uh, I admire a place that makes my um, jacket and everything smell like barbecue for the rest of the day. That, that I can really appreciate. Did you have the potato salad? Uh, no, I went. Uh, oh. I went brisket sandwich with uh, slaw and macaroni and cheese because those are two of the sides that I define barbecue places by, and it passed with flying colors. I would suggest the potato salad next time you go. <laughs> two years. <laughs> two years, and we'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! Well, I guess we should talk about the softball now yeah, I guess as so. well. We um, tried to stall it long enough for you, Brian, but we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit softball now. Yeah, obviously not the home series start you wanted this past week, and LSU taking two of three. The first two games were super tight, uh, both won uh, via the long ball, and then game three, I 
uh, we weren't watching it. We were getting ready to go on the air, but it looked like LSU just came out hot and that was the end of the story. How would you analyze what happened this past weekend between the Tigers and the uh, and the Lady Vols? You know, a bunch of tight softball, as you mentioned. Um, I think the first two games, both of them could have gone either way. Uh, obviously going to eight innings in both of them, that probably goes without saying. But, um, you know, I think it was catching up to SEC pitching a little bit. Um, and also just the atmosphere of SEC games, how much these games mean. Having an opponent across the field from you, that it finally means as much to them as it means to you. And vice versa, because, you know, playing a lot of smaller teams, it would make their season to beat Tennessee. And, I mean, Miami of Ohio throughout a still who I think is the best pitcher we've seen all year in Courtney Veerstra, who's one of the top five strikeout pitchers in the country last year. That was Tennessee's other loss coming into this weekend, or only loss coming into this weekend. Um, you know, but LSU has a really talented pitching staff, and – it took Tennessee's hitters some time to adjust. Ivy Davis gets the walk-off in game two to get the win. And then in game three, it's just, I don't think the team was quite ready for what LSU was going to bring to win that third game. And I think that's something that a lot of the roster that hadn't played SEC games needed to see. Here's an experienced LSU team ready to come in and take a third game, you know, and, there's a lot of players on Tennessee's roster that haven't seen that edge that you need from the first pitch in the third game because a split series, it's Ralph Weekly says it all the time. Every SEC series is like a super regional. And when it gets to that point, you need to know how to win. Some teams do, some teams don't. I think it was a very important step for this team to see that and to learn it. Next step is to apply it. And it's for Tennessee's pitchers as well to know what level of execution you have to have, what spots you have to hit. Um, Ashley Rogers hadn't thrown in an SEC game in two years until this weekend. She pitched very well on Saturday in the rescheduled game from Friday night, um, not as well on Sunday. I think it underscores how important it is to give her rest in a day between. And I think the team saw that. I, I think a lot of these pitchers hadn't thrown on back-to-back dates because you'd been able to space it out. You'd been able to manage pitchers a little bit and try to stretch them out a little bit, but you don't ultimately want to push it in non-conference. But then you come around and you, you learn some lessons on what you need to do. And uh, I think Tennessee learned some of those. We'll see how they apply them this weekend against Alabama. And then um, you get back into SEC play after a week off, uh, I believe, against Kentucky next. So there's challenges ahead. And uh, I think last weekend helped prepare them for the challenges. Now, how do you respond? That's the question that Tennessee is going to face uh, down in Tuscaloosa this weekend. Do you have concerns about the fact that the two games that Tennessee lost were the two games that Ashley Rogers started? You know, not for the first one, because it was one of her better performances. Um, you know, 11 strikeouts, you wasted a start. You, and, and I think, you know, Karen said that after, um, after the games on Saturday, you know, you played well, but ultimately – you wasted a great performance from Ashley Rogers. Now you came back and got some good pitching from the rest of your staff and were able to win the second game, but you have to win the Ashley Rogers games because she's given you everything she's got. And if she allows a run or two, you need to be able to go out and win that game. You know, giving up two runs should be a winning number for Tennessee with the offense that they have. Now they piece some hits together in the second game and 
finally in the fifth inning of the third game, piece some hits and piece some runs together. And if Aliyah Andrews isn't the center fielder for LSU who made an incredible catch on what would have been a bases clearing double in that fifth inning, that game may have gone on. Maybe Tennessee finds it stride. I'm not going to say they can't, would come back from 11, nothing, but found the stride and would have taken those steps. And we'll see if that makes a difference. Tennessee has a non-conference game, uh, a non-conference doubleheader on Tuesday and try to get right and then head down to Tuscaloosa. But yeah, it, the second game, you know, Ashley just didn't have the sharpest uh, corners on her pitches and a team like LSU is going to hit it. I think it's a good lesson for her knowing, hey, where does my body need to be to throw for a second time in a weekend against an SEC team? That's going to be what she's going to have to gauge. And that's what the coaching staff is going to have to gauge. Um, but I think really the two games on Saturday, one game on Sunday kind of changed some things as far as how that laid out. And uh, we'll see what they learn from that going forward. Of the other three in the circle, Brian, who do you think has stepped up most this year? Because I know Callie Turner was the quote unquote ace last year with Rogers being out, but it seems like the inning split is pretty similar, but I don't know who's been getting more of the big innings. So who do you think kind of is the, is the person that can maybe be that second option for Ralph and Karen? You know, I think Callie Turner's your second starter, but Sam Bender is somebody who will come in and get you to the end of a game. That's what she did in the second game on Saturday against LSU. She made her pitches. She pitches to contact and she has a defense behind her this year. That is very good um, to get those outs when she gets the ground ball she needed. That was the story of last season was both Turner and Bender got ground balls. They needed and Tennessee committed. I believe it was 30 errors behind them. And a lot of those were, there's two outs, there's a runner on, all of a sudden you have a ball go through and it becomes a big inning for whoever the opponent is. Um, so both of those two, I think, are ready in SEC play. Bailey McCachron's a freshman. Um, she has thrown well in non-conference play. I don't know how much you trust her to go out there in SEC games right now, but she makes good pitches. She has a good plan. She has a good approach. So I think certainly by the end of the year, you're going to feel comfortable um, with all three behind Ashley Rogers, and it's going to take all three of them. I mean, they all have to understand that whatever role they are given, anytime they go into a game, they need to get outs. And I think that's a tough adjustment for people who have their entire lives gotten the ball to start and said, you're going five or you're going seven, and you're getting a win today. And But go out, whenever you're called on to go in a game, go in and make your pitches and get outs and you know both Callie Turner and Sam Bender have a no hitter this year hmm. and they weren't flukes they were really good pitching performances with really good defensive performances behind them so channel that build on it and you're going to be right there in SEC play I think Turner is probably getting the ball in most game twos but Bender could just as easily get it um, I think they like where Bender is coming out of the bullpen more than either Turner or McAchron coming out of the bullpen. And that's, I think that's why her role is more bullpen, but I would feel just as confident with her starting game two as, as the other two. And that's not a shot at, at any of them. I think it shows where the strength is and the lessons they learned last year carrying into this year. Without making too much out of the first weekend, we did see some sweeps in the conference. Um, might see another one tonight. We'll see how the game goes, but um, where do you see Tennessee, where does Tennessee fit right now in the hierarchy of the SEC? 
You know, I think that's a good question that there's not an easy answer for right now. I think when you look at the offense, um, one through nine right now, um, your lowest hitter by average is Allie Shipman. I, I can't imagine that at some point this year she doesn't figure that out and become the Allie Shipman that we've seen the last two years. Um, Chelsea Sagarin was struggling a little bit, and what she needed to see was SEC pitching, and she had a great weekend against LSU. Um, Kiki Malloy is among the leaders in the league in home runs. She has made tremendous strides from last year. So with where that offense is, you know, I think Tennessee could easily fit near the top of that hierarchy. How far will Ashley Rogers take Tennessee in the pitcher in the pitcher circle? How far can the rest of the pitching staff back her up? I think is where the question is. You know, but this league outside of maybe where Alabama, I don't see Alabama losing more than three, four, five conference games all year. I mean, I think it really could be there. Um, it can come down to, I think, teams two through six, two through seven will be a split of three or four games in the loss column. So I think Tennessee certainly has the pitching and certainly the offense to be in that group. You got to go out and win games. I think schedule helps Tennessee. You don't see Arkansas. You don't see Florida in the regular season. Those help. You get LSU to open up, Alabama the second week, Kentucky the fourth week of the season, third SEC series. I think you get some of your toughest opponents out of the way early. That could, particularly if you do well in those games, really start it rolling as you get down the season. Um, so, you know, I think it's going to come down to a couple of losses here or there that will determine who is the three through seven seed in the SEC tournament. But I think Alabama is clearly at the top right now. And I think that's a great challenge for Tennessee to go in this weekend and say, we belong up there too. Last year was a fluke. We played LSU tight. LSU is going to be a really good team. They're going to be near the top of the league. We feel like we should have won two of those three games. Now let's go prove it against Alabama on the road. I think the team sees this as an opportunity. Mm. We're rounding third here with Brian Rice on the Out of the Box podcast. And Brian, I'm glad you brought up the schedule because we were joking earlier with Madison Shipman that, my gosh, I mean, what did you do to the SEC office? Why did they schedule LSU and Alabama to start off conference play? But I think you raise a great point. After this weekend, you've got Kentucky at home. And then after that, I'm looking at it right now, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Georgia, Auburn, all in a row. Those are four series that I would frankly be surprised if Tennessee didn't win at least three of them. So you've got a lot of great chances to learn from the early part of conference play and then put what you took from those first two series into the rest of the conference season and maybe find yourself in the top three or even better. Yeah, I think the layout, and it's a good thing you didn't have Madison and I on together because that whole conversation, you guys may not have been able to keep control of that because we had a rain delay on Friday and we had everybody laughing anyway. Um, she was doing our SEC Plus broadcast. But, um, you know, I, I think momentum is such a big part of this sport. I think back to 2018, um, Tennessee gets off to the best start in school history. They're 30-1 and one, and go to Hawaii and, and finish that off at 30-1, and one, then come back and weighed down by that trip. It's not an excuse, but it, it happened. I was there. I was feeling – I was dragging along myself. You get swept at South Carolina, and your conference season is just real up and down from that point on. And it ends up costing you, you know, you're a game or two away from hosting a Super Regional instead of going on the road for it. You're having to go into the final weekend hoping you get some help so you can get a top four seed in the SEC tournament and not have to play the extra game. 
it's those little things, the margins thin. And so getting some momentum early and being able to sustain it over the course of the year it can be the difference in this conference. It can be the difference between being the four seed in the tournament and being the six seed and having a really tough uh, road and maybe not winning an extra game. And then maybe, you know, you're being sent on the road potentially in a super regional or you're being even sent on the road in a regional, um, which Tennessee hasn't been in that position since 2004. They've been at home every year in the regional. So getting that momentum is going to be a, a huge thing. And I think it's going to be something that Tennessee can do once you get past this, this early stretch. And if you can win some games and win some series, then it could spark it even more as you go on. Do you think the non-conference trip to Texas A&M might at least give everybody a little bit of a, um, you know, kind of where a familiarity, I guess, with going on the road here. And because something we talked about during the broadcast this past weekend at Auburn um, it's not a normal road trip in 2021. There's a lot of different things that are going on as far as protocols and things like that. Uh, do you think that'll help for uh, just kind of the familiarity of being on the road this weekend? I think it helps a little bit. I think it helps uh, being able to play in a big stadium somewhere else. Um, you know, Texas A&M has one of the best, if not the best ballpark in college softball. Um, having played there helps this team that didn't get a chance to go to a lot of places. Um you know, they try to open up against Coastal Carolina, and that gets rained out. And then Tennessee opens up at home for the first time ever, and they're playing whoever they can schedule. And, mm -hmm. you know, Ralph and Karen talked about in the past week, hey, our non-conference schedule is not what we wanted, but it's it's what we were able to come up with. You know, not being able to go to Clearwater and play teams like that, that has an impact on how your team develops. But, yeah, I think being able to go to Texas A&M, play a game against an SEC team, and – seeing again how close the margin was if texas a&m doesn't have a, a long ball that bends foul at the end they have a walk-off home run you know so everybody on the team got to see how thin the margin is from a team that's projected to finish high up in the sec to a team that's projected to not finish high in the sec you still see how close it can be and how how thin the margin is and then just getting out of Knoxville and getting on a bus and getting on a plane and then getting back on a bus, you know, what's it all going to look like? I like that they didn't, they're not going to see that for the first time this weekend. Um, but obviously road stadium will be a very different environment uh, with as many people as you can get in. Um, it won't be what it usually is, but I, I know it will still be a home crowd advantage and uh, something that this team will be seeing for the first time because you didn't get into sec play last year. Um, the most intimidating environment that the team saw last year was at UCF and that didn't go well at that tournament. I mean, I'll be beyond, or it was at USF against UCF. There was alphabet soup all weekend and it made my head spin. But um, <laughs> anyway, you, you, you didn't get to see it. I mean, that, that's the thing that's so unique about this season. And I feel like we don't talk about it enough, but if you talk about it, you're making excuses. Or if you talk about it, you're, you're going down a lot the kids that are freshmen and sophomores on this team have never played an SEC game until this past weekend. They didn't mm -hmm. play them last year. So, you know, Ashley Rogers hasn't thrown in an SEC game until this past weekend in, in nearly two full years. Same for the hitters. It's such a different challenge. And I don't think anybody's non-conference schedule in this entire conference got them ready for it 
like they normally would. I mean, how many ranked teams have you guys played to this point this year? Texas and well, not um, Texas. Uh, well, not Texas. That was, was uh, yeah, that was canceled. Apocalypse. Um, we, I guess LSU twice. Mississippi State wasn't yeah. ranked when we played them, so that was it. Just the two LSU games. So I, I mean, you guys tried, and right. you know, Florida has the advantage of having UCF and USF in the state, and I think UCF's ranked. USF isn't, but. You know, and they have Florida State down there, but they still didn't play the schedule they normally play. Georgia's schedule is about what it normally is. There are some other teams whose schedules <laughs> are what they normally are and some that aren't. But regardless, and I'm going to get heck for that for uh, taking a shot at Georgia, but it is what it is. No, um, you're right. Uh, yeah, but, no, it's, it's that, that, that is a something that's said on this podcast a lot. It's fine. N- nobody in this conference is prepared for conference play the way they normally are. That's my point. And right. it's not an excuse for anybody because everybody's facing it. So I don't think we know anything about how this season is going to play out in conference more than we did when we started. The teams that I think we expected to look good, they look good, but who knows? The teams that don't look as good, well, they still look pretty good. So who knows? Uh, I was talking with one Texas A&M's administrators before we played him. He goes, I don't know how good this team is. They look real good against who we could get to come here and play. So let's find out. Along those same lines, it's kind of it's interesting because we we mentioned this this weekend as well that like this is the first time Montana Fouts will have pitched against Auburn. So you have players that have been here now for three years that this is their first time playing some of these teams because of the schedule, the SEC tournament getting canceled last year, uh, just no no opportunity to play even those that are not on the regular schedule. Um, so even some of the veterans are coming along those same lines of facing teams they've never faced before. Yeah, I mean, it's remarkable. If you didn't play a team two years ago, then you're seeing them for the first time ever. And it's, you know, it's a rivalry like this where you're seeing teams for the first time ever. Um, There will be players because of the schedule rotation that will never go for us. They'll never go to Baton Rouge. They'll never go to Fayetteville. They'll never go to, um, where else were we supposed to go last year? Kentucky. You'll, You'll never see that stadium. And it's just, it's different, but I don't know what else you could have done. You could have just ported last year's schedule to this year. I can tell you Tennessee didn't want to do that because, you know, finances are part of this sport. Last year was Tennessee's three plane trips rotation. This year, it's all bus trips in conference. You're talking about something that was welcome to the Tennessee Athletic Department, only, you know, only having one flight for your softball team all year. That's a welcome thing in a time when you're trying to save money. So, um, but it means that, you know, you have players that play here for five years that will never see Baton Rouge. It's incredible to think about. But uh, it also adds a little more intrigue to this season. Maybe they should put it in a non-conference and say, people need to go to Baton Rouge at least at People least need once. to go to Baton Rouge. Yeah, uh, I need to. Uh, I need them to cater from the, I believe it's the jambalaya shop with an extra P-E on the end, which means, of course, that it's going to be delicious. Of course. Mm-hmm. The Cajun mm-hmm. spelling, you know. So that's, that's what you need. I mean, we, we were looking forward to going to walk-ons last year. Thankfully, during the pandemic, they opened a walk-ons in Knoxville. So there are players that were very excited about that and heard a lot about it could just go on out there, mask on. But um, right. yeah, I mean, you got to see Baton Rouge. You got to have the lady who sounds like Bobby Boucher's mom yelling at you. I mean, she always yells right in my crowd, Mike. And I went out and met her and she's like the sweetest lady in the world. But you turn on the sports and Bobby <laughs> Boucher's mom comes out, you know? And that's like, that's an endearing quality of Baton Rouge. You need to Absolutely. go. 
The people, I've never not the, had a good time in Baton Rouge. It's, it's, it's the, the best. People at all these ballparks are what make the experience. There's the guy at Auburn that wears the helmet. I mean, uh. he leads the cheers. <laughs> it may drive us crazy, but that's part of the fun of this league. There's the guy at South Carolina that yells. There's um, there's a kid at Georgia that yells. Like, all of these things are what make this conference mm-hmm. special. And you may think that you're making fun of them, but you're not. It, like, it wouldn't be the same if you went there and it wasn't like that. And, and I, so I love that. I love this conference for that. You're right. Um, it would be weird to go through an Alabama softball game at Rose without hearing, come on, Lexi, strike her out. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't I'm think we could do it. I'm to it this weekend. I'm probably going to make snide comments about it on the air, but it wouldn't we be will the too. same. <laughs> yeah, it's it fine. It wouldn't be the same. <laughs> the okay. Lady yelling, lady, balls. Even when our previous athletic director got mad, I was like, can you make them stop saying that? And our marketing people were like, you want to go tell them? No, of course not. It's part <laughs> of the fabric of it. And that's why I love softball in this conference. Oh, gosh, Brian, what a weekend it's going to be. Is there anything in particular before we let you go that you're looking out for in this Alabama-Tennessee series that you want to see the Lady Balls just do better or, or do in general? I want to see how the offense responds to another weekend of good pitching. I think Tennessee has the skill at the plate to keep up some of the offensive numbers from the non-conference slate. They've got to go do it. They've got to have better at bats. And I think to that happened with some of the team. It didn't happen with everybody. And the coaches were, were upfront about it. Like we have to have better at bats and they're capable of doing it. And then, you know, I know Ashley Rogers is going to perform the way she has always performed. Um, what about the rest of the staff? Their first big SEC road environment. It's the first time any of the rest of the pitching staff has gone on the road in the SEC. Texas A&M game in non-conference, non-withstanding. So how do they respond to it? I'm really intrigued to see that. I think the answer is going to be they'll respond to it well. But you don't know until you're out there in front of however many people you're allowed to pack in there. It should be a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to it. Brian, before I got to ask you, uh, as the last thing, how badly were the three of us here on this call uh, hose during the uh, the fantasy softball uh, brackets that we did uh, over the summer? Yeah, the draft. I mean, yeah, the draft. I mean, I think we had the three best teams and somehow none of us were in the finals. You know, there's there was some talent stacking, but also some of it just. I don't know. It was unfortunate. I'm still a little bitter about it, but but I'm going to make it through. What I'm really bitter about is that for my utility player, I didn't get Rainy Gaffin because I didn't think of her soon enough. And then I believe Jen took her right behind me, and I did not live that down for several weeks after that. I'm mad because Jen won with a staff whose ace was Allie Wall Jasper, who was good. But, I mean, come on. We all had some of the greatest pitchers the SEC's had in the last 20 years, and – America voted, but it's okay. They, right. can, they can have their victory. Yeah. It's almost like they're well, more popular than we are. I don't understand how that happened. It, you know, remember what Winston Churchill said, the best argument against democracy is a five-minute conversation with the average voter. <laughs> I think it applies to a lot of things, and it certainly applied to our softball fantasy bracket. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's tremendous. I am going to write that down for so many reasons. Doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're on, it applies. 
sports team you love, it applies. Uh, yes, 100%. That's incredible. That is a thousand percent the best possible way to cap this conversation. Brian Rice joining us here on Out of the Box. Brian, always good to talk with you. We'll see you this weekend in person. Can't wait. Can't wait. Masked up and socially distanced. Can't wait to uh, give you the air fist bump that is now the standard greeting. Absolutely. Thanks, Brian. We're down. We'll see you. All right, that was Brian Rice, and now, Tom, it's time to head home. We've got other games outside the SEC that we're going to look at. We've got picks. We've got Tom's Hungry. You have an off-the-wall. It will be not a lengthy but a packed final segment. I'm very excited for it as we trot home a la either of the Baileys after a gargantuan home run. We have crushed it. Goodbye. It's gone. And now... Right ahead home here on the Out of the Box podcast. When we come back, everything I just said, we're going to do it here on the show. See you in a second. Welcome back. The sun is setting. What does Black Widow say? The Hulk? Hey there, big guy. Sun's getting hey there, real low. Guy. Yes, yes. Hey there, big guy. Hey there, big listener. Sun's getting real low. It's the Out of the Box podcast. We're heading home. That's Tom Canterbury. I'm Gray Robertson. What a show. We started at the plate, talked to Alabama. We advanced to first, talked to SEC. We stole second with Madison Shipman, one of the greatest in not just the sport, but also in our guest history. Rounding third with Brian Rice. I mean, good golly, Moses. (laughs) <laughs> just we have so much fun with him every time yeah yeah it was, that was a lot of fun I, I i will use that winston churchill quote in so many things i'm ready i don't know Oops. how i've never heard that before but i'm ready that'll be our opener on friday so get ready for that <laughs> and you're going to be left alone on saturday tom i don't even want to know oh. how many times that's going to be used <laughs> <laughs> we've got some big non-sec games coming up There are a couple, you know, out-of-conference games we need to watch, but it's a big weekend across the country because there are some matchups we have to watch out for. Wednesday, as scheduled right now, though I've looked, the weather does not look great. Texas and Louisiana are supposed to play doubleheader in Lafayette. Again, we'll see if it's played, but we hope so because it could be a real learning series for both of those teams. Louisiana's suffered – a couple losses that are not necessarily befuddling, but I feel like they haven't hit their peak yet or, or even really been close. And Texas, the last time they played a really good opponent, they got shelled by LSU in game three. Yeah, I, I do. I hope that game gets played as well. You know, Louisiana, they did not shy away from the tough scheduling either uh, this year. They, they kind of, I think they scheduled with the hopes of uh, we're going to be a super regional host. Uh, but you got to win some of these games. If you're going to schedule them like that to get for that. And then you can't afford losses in your conference, but that it's, it's going to be very interesting. If they're able to get that, get that game in. And a lot of questions still for both those teams. And then otherwise there are two big PAC 12 series that we have to talk about. Remember folks, four games out in the pack, which, you know, it's going to be confusing for me. I hope that the PAC 12 site, structures the standings to where this is easy to follow but you've got arizona at washington for four games one friday two saturday one sunday and i think the more fascinating one just because you know you've got framo and rachel garcia in the circle arizona state at ucla once saturday two on sunday and one on monday 
That'll be before we record next week. It doesn't get better. Those are the four best teams, I think, in the Pac-12 outside of Oregon. And what a way to kick off that conference's season. Yeah, that's uh, you're kind of front sacking the the, the uh, conference schedule there. Um, yeah, Arizona State's kind of one of those teams. I mentioned it a few podcasts ago. I think they might be a sleeper team out west and in the Pac-12, uh, just because that offense is so dynamic. Uh, they may be able if they can get some runs off of that UCLA pitching that they kind of announce themselves. I would not be absolutely shocked to see them maybe maybe go two and two or at least get one, at least get one against UCLA. I I have the same feeling. I think that we're going to see Arizona at least get two against Washington. I agree with Madison Mm -hmm. Shipman. I think they're going to win three just because the, they can't throw Gabby playing every game and the two that they probably will. I see Arizona getting one because she's more down, you know, doesn't, doesn't go to the rise as much as some of the pitchers that Arizona struggled with lately. And, uh, yeah, I think that Arizona State will get a game from UCLA. If they don't, we have a problem because UCLA is finally playing to the maybe they're the greatest team of all time potential that we knew they had. But if you're Arizona, if you're going to try to keep pace with UCLA, you have to win at least three. For sure. Yeah, if if it's a 2-2 or Washington wins, then Arizona might be already out of the race in the Pac-12. Amazing how quick it can happen. But, you know, when when both teams are starting off with that tough of an opponent, you can't have some extra losses. I'm going to be fascinated, Tom, those games, along with the NCAA tournament games and I think the women's tournament games. We're going to have a bunch of tabs open this weekend. It's going to be great. (laughs) (laughs) The 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 out-of-the-box scoreboard uh, updates – May last multiple innings. It's going to be fun. What do those standings look like after uh, week one? Oh, that was a jerky thing to do. Um, <laughs> one weekend in, Tom, you're back on top. Three to two. You know, you called two sweeps. Mr. Sweeps are hard to come by, and you were right. You got Arkansas 3 nothing, Florida 2-1, Alabama 3 nothing. I got two right, so just one behind. LSU 2-1, Florida 2-1. I mean, are you ready to go? This does mean you're going first for all five SEC series. Wow. Okay. Are you prepared yeah. for that? Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. Okay. Let's start it out. Ole Miss at Arkansas. Just jump right in. Wow. I'm going to say on that one, I mean, Arkansas is playing so well, but Ole Miss playing a lot better than we thought. I'm going to say the Razorbacks take two out of three. Yeah, I'm with you. I've been surprised at how well the Ole Miss offense is hit in this series against Mississippi state. Now game three, notwithstanding they yeah. only have two hits in the fifth inning. But the question is, is autumn storms back? It appears to be some sort of back thing from the off season. That's kind of carried over into this point. Hannah McEwen was out this past weekend. She will be back. She was gone with COVID protocol. And I expect Arkansas to win the two games handily. I think Ole Miss's win is something they just steal like a 5-4 win or something. Yeah, I could, I could see it that way. I mean, I think both of them will be taking a step up in competition for this series. So it, you can take a lot from what they did in week one, but it's going to be a step up. Missouri, Georgia. Go ahead. Whew, Missouri at Georgia. This is the burden I, of winning the week, Tom. It's, uh, it's tough because we don't know this is their first conference series for both these teams. But I am going to say, I think I've seen a little bit more 
shakiness from Georgia than I have from Missouri so far. So I'm going to say Missouri takes two out of three. Man, I need to do something different from you. I've got Missouri two out of three as well. MWA, hashtag the truth, is going to win a game. I'll be interested to see how game three works. I want to see how Missouri does this pitch by committee thing facing an opponent three times. We've seen how they try to do it facing a team twice. It's, you know, been mixed. But what about that third time? I still, though, believe more in the Missouri offense than the Georgia offense. So I am going to say Missouri two out of three. But this is probably the pick of what I have down that I feel – the most uncertain about as much as I do love Larissa Anderson, just because I'm not totally sure where Georgia is because of their schedule. Yeah. And especially being at Georgia too, you know, we've seen Georgia struggle at home. Uh, So I don't know. Yeah. I'm kind of with you. It's, it's this one, it's hard to get a a real gauge on it because they haven't played anybody in the conference yet, but we'll, we'll see. Texas A&M at LSU. I'm going to say LSU sweeps them. Whoa, Tom. Yeah, I, I, I went out on that sweep limb last week. It worked out for me, so I'm going to stick with it. I just think LSU has kind of hit their pivot point, uh, like Madison Shipman. It might have been even before last week. It might have been the, the two wins over Texas, but uh, they've kind of got – they've righted their ship, and we'll see what Texas A&M has, but I, I, I've seen more than more from LSU. I think A&M is pitching well enough to win a game down there because the LSU offense, while well, yes, they've challenged themselves, they're still not hitting really well. So I'm going to go LSU two out of three. So a little difference here. And we'll see. LSU, I expect them to win game three. That seems to be their MO. I expect them to kill A&M in game three. <laughs> but I think A&M finds a way to squeak out a game because – Maybe LSU outthinks themselves. Maybe they go with the wrong pitching matchup. I don't know, but I feel like things aren't still totally tweaked out to where I feel confident enough to predict a sweep right now. Okay. All right, two more, Tom. Florida at Mississippi State. We said maybe trappy, but I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I don't know how trappy it's going to be. I think because it's at Mississippi State, I will say two out of three for Florida. Uh, just maybe one game, me and Fall figure it out. And, you know, the non-Hightower game, maybe they're able to do it there. But uh, overall, I think Florida is going to have too much for them. But Mississippi State will still one, but Florida wins two. I still don't like the Ole Miss offense. I'm watching what they're doing right now, and I'm I'm still not sold. I think this is just Mississippi State pitching not being good. Oh, this sounds so stupid. I, I don't want to pick it. No, I can't. Florida two out of three. I thought oh, sweep. You I, wanted to do it. I wanted to do it. And if I'm wrong. Fortune favors the bold. Yeah, but I don't want to be losing still. <laughs> <laughs> I can't fall further behind. I don't want to repeat okay, all right. basically every time we've done picks. <laughs> Last one, Tennessee at Alabama. I think there's a really good possibility Alabama sweeps but I don't think I can pick it. I'm going to pick Alabama wins two out of three just because, again, maybe maybe the Ash, you have a pitcher's duel that Ashley Rogers wins out on on something late. But I think Alabama has shown a lot more than Tennessee has this year. Man, I really want to pick Alabama sweeping, but I, I, I'm going to pick two out of three. Sweep. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm doing it. And here's why. 
You mentioned a pitcher's duel, and my mind went back to 2018, right? That was the last time we faced Tennessee in Tuscaloosa, and I thought of that first game, a one nothing victory for Tennessee. And Tennessee scored, I think, in the third, so my bad. Right. That was it. On a Megan Gregg double, they brought in a run. That was it, one nothing. I think Tennessee gave up four hits that day. And as I was looking at that box score the other night and thinking of it just now, I realized how much more confident I am in this Alabama offense now than I was then. Sure. No shot at any of those people, but if it were one nothing in the bottom of the fifth against Tennessee, I don't care who the pitcher is. I'm thinking, oh, Alabama's got this. Even the Auburn game, the Sunday Auburn game, Alabama's down 2 nothing. I wasn't really concerned. Alabama's offense has not been lights out. They have not lit up the scoreboard. But if you look at the situational hitting and you look at when the hits come, this might be the most clutch offense we have seen in the last five years and could be right up there in Patrick Murphy's tenure because they just find ways to get it done in key situations. Mm -hmm. Most of the lineup is hitting better with runners in scoring position than their regular average. So I think Alabama finds a way to sweep. I really do. I hope you're right. I will gladly take the L on that one. All right. Holding it. That's it. That's picks. You've marked it down. It's it's official on the document. Here we go. In pencil. (laughs) (laughs) We've got a couple more segments. Of course, the return of Tom's Hungry is on the other side of Off the Wall. Yes. Because I don't have anything I need to add. I feel like I've been venting for the last month. But Tom, you had a couple things you wanted to point out from this week. So please take it away here on Off the Wall. Uh, a couple things. Number one, there is no such thing as Lady Tide. The, the Lady Tide does not exist. The Crimson Tide is a non-gendered nickname. So you can just congratulate the Crimson Tide on wins. Or the Tide. Or the Tide. Or ladies. But Lady Tide, not a thing. I appreciate the sentiment, but it, it it's just not. Uh, so that's number one. You know, the balls have the lady balls. That's that's a thing. Lady tied, not a thing. So that's number one. And then number two is we're still having people that will start to call out the offense with lack of hits when you, God forbid, go through one time through the order and no hit and, and there aren't any hits or there's only the one. The two things, one, you know, sometimes the hits just, I mean, again, we're we're in a, we're in a sport where failure is the norm you're, you're in a sport of failure so there's going to be times that doesn't mean you can't hit that doesn't mean you need to teach somebody how to hit it doesn't mean you know they we went through the order once and didn't get a hit and also the pitchers have something to do with it they are maybe just throwing things that you weren't expecting on on film or maybe they're really well executed pitches and you're not always going to get hits off of that's just the way it is and it's just, it's frustrating when I see, when you go back through and you notice how they'll be real loud at the beginning of the game and then Alabama comes back to win and all of a sudden those people disappear. They're, there's never going to come back and say, well, I was wrong or anything like that. It's it's always negative, bad, 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 and then disappear. Uh, so I'm just calling those people out again. I do appreciate that there, there are people fighting the good fight in the comments now, not only about whether or not we're on TV, but also... Uh, just having some common sense when watching sports like baseball and softball. I will never not laugh when I see somebody complain about not being able to watch a game and another person comment, I've watched every single game this year. 
right. <laughs> Literally, just push the button. Yeah, just because I know I've been on the air. I've done. I've read the intros and the outros and seen the graphics. Like that's not something I right. imagined, right? Like you, I wasn't in the booth with you, just dreaming, right. was I? No. Okay. Yeah. No, those were actually happening. Okay. So um, TV yeah. did exist. I also so. just again would like to implore some of the negative Nellies out there. Again, I know your names. Just give a roll tide at the end of a game where Alabama right. wins. Just say congrats. Why do you only have to comment on the bad stuff? Pointing out negative things that happen doesn't make you a smarter or better fan. Maybe the opposite, if nothing else. All right, Tom's hungry. Go ahead, Tom. We have Tom's hungry. Yes. Actually, we're able to get out on the road a little bit, safely, socially distanced, but at Auburn this weekend, didn't make it to Tumors, Tumors Corner, but we did go just down the road a bit to a place called Cheeseburger Cheeseburger. Not cheeseburger, 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 and it was delicious. I had a double American, just a good old American cheeseburger, and the fries were actually probably the highlight. The yeah. fries were really good. I was I was very happy. So if you're ever in Auburn and everything else is packed, which is basically what happened, uh, cheeseburger, cheeseburger, very uh, a very good place to get a good old fashioned cheeseburger. Let's be real, folks. The best places to eat in Auburn are not what this segment is designed for. If I want to go and eat at the best restaurant in Auburn, I'm going to Acre. But Acre is outside of the Tom's Hungry budget and, frankly, the Tom's, right. the Tom's Hungry time frame. When you said, I don't know if we can get a reservation, I was like, well, you lost me a reservation. That, yeah. No, we are not. No place will ever appear on Tom's Hungry of which you need a reservation unless some unless we have a benefactor that wants to take us. Yes, unless we are with the team, which we won't be this year. So. Right. That's just the way it is. I will uh, also throw in Mom Goldberg's, obviously a staple around the state, but we went sure. to the OG in Auburn and the nachos. I mean, I'm, I just, I could eat them all day. I got them without, that's how I roll. I'm a build your own kind of sandwich guy. I could go to Mom Goldberg's right now. I don't care. Yeah. I right. love it. Did, got a little bit of good natured ribbing for wearing Alabama stuff in there, but overall uh, we yeah. were, we were fine. That's it. It's not quite the level that we normally are able to do for a Tom's Hungry type segment, but we got some good stuff in and I'm looking forward to our next trip is, is Lexington, where we'll be totally on our own. Some of our since we were staying at your lake house, some of the some of the meals were uh, well, well done casseroles. Victory is mine. <laughs> yes, victory is certainly grace there. So we'll actually have a, probably have a couple more uh, nominees when we go to Lexington. Oh, yeah, no. In Lexington, we will for sure be going out somewhere for breakfast and we're going to find, you know, maybe a, a cool dinner spot or something. Yeah. I don't know. I'm excited. Uh, and we'll have a car so we can yes. move about. All good stuff. But, you know, for Tom's Hungry for the first part of the season, all things considered, I thought we ate well at our two spots. Abs absolutely. Uh, and also, it popped up in my memories today. Uh, today was the two-year anniversary of the 2019 Tom's Hungry winner, which was Dukes in, in Honolulu. You know, this is a reminder that I should eat before we do the podcast, because dinner is waiting for me as we yes. record. And now I just really want to fly through the rest of the show. <laughs> so <laughs> that is Tom's Hungry. We've got gear this weekend. I apologize to everybody, because yet again, Gray, you dumb buffoon just leaving everything at home i go through the checklist i pack the car i bring everything i i ran to my 
sister's room's little desk because I had let her borrow a Sharpie four days early and I grabbed that and put it in the bag. I had everything except the koozies and the stickers. Put them in the car now. I will as soon as I get home and eat dinner. Okay. Um, Yeah, so I'm sorry. I will have the stickers and koozies on Friday. I'm going to bring maybe the whole dang box just (laughs) to make sure. I apologize to everybody. That'll be there Friday and Sunday for sure. And Saturday, I'll leave some with Tom in the booth so we can hand them out if that's the day you're coming into Rhodes. Okay, yeah, sounds good. I can definitely hand them out uh, through our window there on the uh, first base side of the press box. For sure. All right, Tom, let's sign off. Where can the people find you on Twitter? You can find me T Canterbury RTR on Twitter. I've just, I've retweeted some stuff here uh, last day or two, a lot about the Vince basketball championship. Uh, Our buddy Aaron Hepp put together just some tremendous videos. And the the last one is just, if you haven't seen it, go out of your way, go find it. It's it's awesome. Uh, So yeah, you can find that again. And I'll, I'll always post, especially when on days when gray is not there, I'll always post, game times and air times and and where you can find us uh when we're ready to have the next game of alabama softball on the crimson ties force network absolutely and you can follow me at gray g-r-a-y underscore robertson follow the podcast at out of the box underscore pod if they want to find us tom you know if you're in tuscaloosa there's a radio station if not though you know you do have to do a little bit of work but once you get there it's easy and you're set for the rest of the year Absolutely. If you are in Tuscaloosa and you're listening over over the air on a regular old radio, 93.3 FM has all Alabama softball games. And if you need if you're going to stream it, if you're outside the city of Tuscaloosa, uh, you can stream it uh, at praise 93.3.com or the praise app. Just download it and you can get it right there on your smartphone. And as always, go to rolltide.com on the schedule page. It has links for both live stats and live audio and on the games, which is all of them, live video as well. So you can get all that at rolltide.com. Amazing. Just press the button. Right there. Just press the button. Look at the graphic. It'll tell you what time. Uh, It'll tell you everything on those posts that you ask the questions on. What time is the game? Well, it's right there on the graphic that you're posting under. Look at the picture. Push the button. That's all you got to do. Reading comprehension. You would think we have all done it, but apparently not. Hmm. All right. That's it for this episode of Out of the Box. Uh, A big thank you to Madison Shipman, Brian Rice. This will probably be the final episode this year. We double dip with guests because if it's not out in the next couple hours or days, pretty soon we're going to start doing bracketology because the RPI is coming soon, Tom. Here we go. RPI. Hmm. We only we only got one of them last year, so I'm excited to have multiple weeks of uh, a ranking system I won't agree with. <laughs> yes, something to discuss every <laughs> single time, and yeah. we'll be talking Tennessee, I'm sure, as we dig into the RPI when it comes out. So again, thank you to Madison Shipman and Brian Rice for joining us. Thank you all of you out there for listening each and every week. We love it. We love hearing from you. I love getting ribbed at games because I forgot stickers. That at least lets me know you listened all the way to the end. So I appreciate that. God bless you for listening to this whole thing. All right. We've got an unknown amount of games this week. Right now it's supposed to be four. UAB Wednesday, Friday, Tennessee, Saturday, Tennessee, Sunday, Tennessee. I'm going to go ahead and say right now, I don't think we're playing on Wednesday, but wait for official word at rolltide.com or on social media 
follow the Alabama softball pages or you can follow us. We'll retweet whatever they post. Absolutely. Yeah. We, no, no one, it will not be a shock to anyone if the games are not played on Wednesday. Yeah. So Tom will have the radio coverage on the Crimson Tide Sports Network on Saturday. We will have that together Friday and Sunday. Saturday, me and Sydney Little John Watkins back in the booth talking it out, finding ways to work in NCAA tournament scores into our TV broadcast. A lot of stuff happening. At least the Masters aren't happening this weekend. Oh, gosh. Where's the Kentucky Derby? I thought that was today. (laughs) So for my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson saying so long. Conference play is underway, y'all. It's going to get crazy. Just hold on tight. We don't know what's going to happen in the SEC. We think we do, and then things change. So make sure you tune in next time because we'll see you around on the Out of the Box podcast.